Many of you know the name Henry Blackaby, and in particular from his uh, book that we've done here before, as many churches have, Experiencing God. And in his book, he writes this. He says, what is God's will, uh, what is God's will for my life is not the right question for us to ask. And then he says, I think the right question for us to ask is, what is God's will? Do you get that? Not what is God's will for my life, but what is God's will? And he says, once I know God's will, then I can adjust my life to Him. In other words, what is it that God is proposing where I am? Once I know what God is doing, then I know what I need to do. So the focus needs to be on God and not my life. I think he's exactly right there. And I want to ask you two questions based on two statements that I've asked you over the past couple of weeks in this series uh, about God's will. God is up to something big we're talking about, but we're talking specifically about God's will. And two questions I have for you this morning. First of all, what's the most important thing in the world? Do you remember we've talked about this the past two weeks? What is the most important thing in the world? Do you remember what the answer is? It's God's will. That's right. And the second question that I ask you is, what is the most important thing in your life? Now, the most important thing in the world is God's will, right? So what is the most important thing in your life? Do you remember? Doing God's will. That's right. Doing God's will is the most important thing. And, and here's the reason I ask those questions. <clears throat> because we often confuse God's will with our own will. But God's will is about God. And since, as we talked about last week, we are designed for God's will, then our destiny is tied to doing God's will. Does that make sense? And so today I want to talk with you about the connection between your destiny and God's will. Let's read the text. If you're physically able to do so, I invite you to stand with me this morning. Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, Father, would you take your word this morning and would you use it powerfully in our hearts? Would you reveal and reaffirm to us, Father, your will so that we might do your will? Teach us, instruct us, correct us, convict us, and Father, most of all, cause us to be changed by your Holy Spirit's work through your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> I 
I began to look as I was preparing this message, and I've re- referenced this passage many times uh, through the years in ministry, but I looked back in my sermon log and discovered that in more than four decades of preaching, I've only preached on this passage one other time. It actually surprised me because it is one of the greatest passages in Scripture that teach us about the will of God and about our particular part in the will of God, and that relates to our destiny. Now, we often refer to these verses that we just read as the calling of Jeremiah. Now, it not only discusses our design. Now, we talked about that last week. Remember, we are designed for the will of God. We are designed to do the will of God. That's our makeup, our gifts, our talents, all of that. We talked about that last week. And this passage talks about that as well. But it also teaches us about uh, um, the will of God and His intended destiny for our life. And that was established just like our design before we were ever born physically. And just like the prophet Jeremiah, God created us with this this God-designed destiny. We all have that. And so I want to look at four things this morning uh, that relate to that. I hope will help you as you understand. Not only have you been designed, go back and listen to that message from last week, but you have a destiny that is tied to God's will. Now, your destiny is not tied to your will. It's tied to God's will. All right? Four things let me show you. First of all, I want you to notice Jeremiah's divine consecration. Verse 5. God says to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. The word for consecrate here is the same in both the Old and New Testament in its expression. It means this, to be set apart, to be set aside for a holy purpose, to be dedicated to holiness, to a holy life with a holy design and a holy destiny. John McCutcheon, the famous cartoonist, For the 100th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's birth, he did a cartoon that shows two men standing on the edge of a snow-covered forest in Kentucky on a cold February morning in 1809. A man in the general store asked this question, what's the news around here? To which the other man responds and answers, oh, nothing much. Oh, there's a new baby over there at Tom Lincoln's house. That's all. Nothing ever happens around here except the birth of a president that would liberate a nation. You see, it's easy to make that same kind of, I think, tragic assumption if we don't understand that that no creation of God is happenstance. No creation of God is happenstance. Every birth is a consecrated life for the big plan of God. Every birth. That means everybody listening to me on radio or live stream or television in this live audience, your birth was not happenstance. It's a part of God's big plan. That's why we can say God's up to something big and you're a part of it because there's no accident in your birth. I've had people tell me, well, my my family told me I was an accident. I wasn't intended. Listen, there are no accidents with God. You're not a happenstance. And because you're not a happenstance, guess what? You are a consecrated life. You are a life set apart intended for holiness, 
for the big plan and the big purpose of God. Have you ever contemplated your consecration? Have you ever contemplated what that is really all about? That you have been set apart by God? That you, have you ever grasped the magnitude that God would birth you and bring you into this world and have designs on your life and have a destiny for your life? Have you ever just thought about that? I am here because God wanted me here and because God wants to use me in His big plan. God tells Jeremiah... The, these words that we've read because he wants him to understand both the privilege, don't miss that, it is a priv- it's a privilege to exist in the purpose of God. He wants Jeremiah to understand that and he wants him to understand that with that privilege comes responsibility. Your existence is one of privilege and responsibility. You have been put here It's a privilege that God put you on this planet. And because He put you here, you have responsibilities that relate to the big thing that God is doing, His eternal cosmic plan. Now, there are a couple of things that are worth noting when we think about this idea of consecration. First of all, consecration is a call to action. We are set apart for action. That's what he's telling Jeremiah. I I designed you and then I gave you a destiny. The destiny is the action portion. That's why you are the way you are. It's the reason I created you. And it's a call to action. It's personal. It points to our responsibility. But I'll tell you what else it points to. It points to our value to God. Because God is up to something big, because God created you with a destiny. It means He values you. So don't ever underestimate how valuable you are to God. Listen, don't ever underestimate how valuable you are to the plans of God. You may say, well, I'm just a nothing in the grand scheme of things. You're not a nothing to God. Never believe that. The devil wants you to believe you are just uh, uh, just another number. You're just another cipher on this planet Millions have come, millions have gone, you'll go eventually, you're just another number. Don't you ever believe that? Because you have destiny related to the will of God. And God has put you here and intention, and only in Christ can you understand what that's all about. You are here to be involved in the work of the kingdom. And we will be accountable for that too. By the way, with great privilege and responsibility comes great accountability. And the Bible tells us that we will one day be accountable before God. And we can be and do everything God has designed us to do and uh, designed us to be uh, and, and accomplish the destiny He has intended for us. But one day we will give a reckoning. There will be an accounting for that. So that's why Jesus said this, We must work the works of Him who sent us while it is still day. The night comes when no man can work. Now I want to tell you something. It looks like it's getting darker out there. Do you think? It looks like it's getting darker. Now, listen, when you look at the darkness, don't collapse. Be a light. While you can be a light, be a light. Make a difference right now for God. But be who God has created you to be and carry out the will of God. We don't know how long we have. 
People ask me, are you panicked? I hope you'll read my column today. Do we throw in the towel? We don't throw in the towel. We shine brighter for Christ. By the way, isn't it interesting, the darker it gets, the brighter a light is? You know, you could, we, could all, we could hold up a candle in this lit auditorium and you could see the, the flame, but you turn the lights out and it's pretty impressive, isn't it? One candle. You could, turn this, you could darken this room completely and light one candle and everybody in this room could see the candle. Why? Because that's how powerful a light is. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Our world needs light. It needs light. And the world doesn't know where the light comes from. So we have to be the expression of the light of Christ for the sake of the world. And I will tell you this, in a dark environment, people crave light. Don't be surprised if our culture continues to grow darker and darker if they're not more and more attracted to the light. I, I believe that can happen. It's a call to action, consecration. We've been set apart. Let's just say it this way. We've been set apart to be light and darkness. And by the way, did you know it was a dark, 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 dark time when Jeremiah came on the scene? It was dark. And, uh, and yet he's been he's that was his time and his moment that God put him on the scene and you are here at your time and your moment I've shared that passage with you in the scripture that says and David served God in his generation he didn't serve it the one before and he didn't serve it for the one that would come but he served it in his generation that means he did what God had called him to do in that generation, other generations would benefit, most certainly, but he served God in his, that's the only time and only place you can, but that window of service and action is limited. And so we must serve him, we must be lights, it's a consecration, it's a call to action, it's a call number two to holiness. It points out that the expectation that God has on our life is personal holiness. God expects you to be holy. Peter writes and says, as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now Paul uses the word sanctification in 1 Thessalonians, but did you know in the Greek, do you know what that word literally means? It means holiness. It means consecration. It means to be set apart. The scripture tells us that we're to be holy, set apart for a holy purpose. It means we're to be different from unbelievers. The believer, of course, uh, uh, lives in the world. Uh, the believer walks and moves within the world. He buys and eats and sleeps in the world, works and plays and is housed in the world. The believer uh, 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 relates and associates and fellowships in the world. However, the difference is the believer is not to be of this world. He is not to be controlled by the world or enslaved by the pleasures or the passions or the possessions of the world. And God has called you and He's called me to live holy lives, consecrated lives to the big thing, to the big purpose and plans that He has. 
He's called us to this life so that we can carry out His will. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. He said, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. He's talking about this sanctification, this consecrated living. He says, strive for peace with everyone and strive for the holiness. And then he adds, without which no one will see the Lord. So the first thing that we should understand is this. Like Jeremiah, each of us have been consecrated by God. We have been set apart. You were born, you were set apart for the big plans of God. The second thing I want you to notice is Jeremiah's divine designation, his consecration. But look at his designation again in verse 5, the last statement in verse 5. God says to him, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, most people think of calling as something for vocational ministers, people that are in full-time church service. But in the kingdom of God, all of us are called. In fact, you remember just a moment ago I quoted to you from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16 that said, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Did you notice the word called there? And he's talking to the believers. He wasn't talking to those who were the pastors. He's talking to the believers. He says, as he who has called you, personal, you have a calling. And we have to understand that calling goes beyond just this idea of vocational ministers. All of us are called. The September 2012 issue of Rolling Stone magazine contained a lengthy issue uh, uh, interview with Bob Dylan. And many of us remember Bob Dylan from the 60s, 70s, and even into the 80s and 90s. Well, they tell me that he's even recorded an album in the last uh, couple of years. But in this interview with Bob Dylan, uh, the interviewer noted to Dylan, said, you've been described as a person who does not use the idea of career, but instead uses the idea of calling. To which Dylan responded, Uh, with some wisdom and warning. He said this. He said, everybody has a calling, don't they? Some have a high calling. Some have a low calling. But everybody has a calling. And he said, the problem is there is a lot of distraction for people. So you might not even find the real you because of all the distractions. He says, a lot of people don't. I think he's right. We have a calling. And if we're not careful, if we don't stay, if we don't stay uh, in fellowship with God, we can be distracted by all the other callings that are going on around us. And what he's saying is, and I agree with because I think this is an idea taught in Scripture, that in your calling there's fulfillment. And when you are living out of the calling that God has placed upon you, guess what you do? You find who you really were designed and created to be. As I said last week, and when you understand that, you don't have to try to be anything you're not, and you don't try to have to try to be somebody that you're not. Everyone has a high calling. And there are these distractions to try and keep you from your divine des- uh, designation. What has God called you to be? Who has God called you to be in the grand scheme of His plan? I can tell you, God wants you to know what that is. God's not playing cosmic hide-and-seek with you and say, I have designed you in a certain way, and then I have a destiny for you that is connected to this calling I have for you. I have all that, but I hope you can find it. God's not playing hide-and-seek. 
God, God instead is, is saying, look, I have the calling. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me, he says in this same book in Jeremiah. And then he adds, I will be found by you if you seek me. You want to know the calling? You're not going to find it in the distractions around you. You're going to have to get serious about seeking God. What is your call to me? God clarified Jeremiah's task. He told him what he was there for. You and I have a God-given task. It was designated by God for us before we even arrived here. And notice that Jeremiah was designated by God. His task was designated. It tells us what his task was. God told him. He wanted him to know. He wants you to know. And in his case, he was designated by God to warn the world of God's coming judgment. He was designated to assure true believers uh, of God's eternal love. He was designated to get this message to them uh, of judgment to come, but also of this great eternal love and this care that God has and this hope of a promised Messiah that would one day come and establish God's eternal kingdom. And by the way, I would add this, no prophet before or after Jeremiah had a more difficult or demanding calling or task than this young prophet of God did. He was called to, uh, to proclaim unceasingly the coming judgment of God. And he did that despite severe and constant uh, persecution. He was persecuted for that, including being ostracized and isolated through most of his life. But he was faithful because he understood his calling and his faithfulness to do God's will. And he's a dynamic example, and that's the reason we can look at him and we can learn about calling and the will of God and our destiny. Now, your designation and my designation will not be like Jeremiah's. Most likely, and thank goodness for that. But don't doubt for a minute that when God created you, He designated you and He called you. You got it? You have a calling. And that's related to God's will and your destiny. And third, I want you to notice this. I want you to notice Jeremiah's divine destination. His divine destination. And notice this, it says in verses 7 and 8, do not say, do not say, do not be afraid. He tells him both of those things, and he says, I am with you. Now, what's that about? What is he saying to Jeremiah in uh, verses 7 and 8? Well, you have to look at verse 6 to understand. Jeremiah responds back to God. He says, oh God, he said, behold, I, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. That was Jeremiah's response. So God says, don't, don't say that I'm only a youth. Don't say that I, I can't speak. I'll put my words in your mouth. What's going on here? It's all about the lies that we believe about ourselves and about God. You see, Jeremiah says, look, I'm just a youth. I, I know you're God, but I'm just a youth. Who am I to be able to do this? I'm just a youth, and I can't speak. They tell us, by the way, do you know what the number one fear on surveys, you know what the number one fears in surveys are? Public speaking. That's the number one uh, fear. Wow. I mean, it is. It's spooky. People ask me, do you get nervous anymore? Uh, yes, I get nervous. I'm, I'm nervous just about every time I get up here. 
And Jeremiah said, I can't, I can't do that. He was in good company. Somebody else said that. Do you remember who said that? Moses. I, I can't do this. I, I, I can't. See, did you know somebody else said he wasn't a good speaker? You know who else said in the Bible he wasn't a good speaker? Paul. Paul, he said, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with excellence of speech or superiority of wisdom. He said, I came in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what he was saying? He said, Paul said, I didn't come. And listen, we know Paul wasn't a great preacher. He had great results because of the Holy Spirit. But we know he wasn't a great preacher because, and he was long. He preached long. I love that. Amen to Brother Paul. How do we know that? You know how we know? Because he preached on one occasion into the night, and a guy named Eutychus was sitting on the second floor of a building in the windowsill, and he fell asleep in Paul's sermon and fell out of the window and died. Now, that's a bad sermon, isn't it? All due respect. He fell out and died. I look. I know that experience. I've seen some of you fall out and die. (laughs) He was at the right place, though, wasn't he? Because if you read the story, the Apostle Paul raised him from the dead. If you're going to die, die when Paul's preaching, not when Ray's preaching, okay? (laughs) But at any rate, this is what Jeremiah says. He says, I'm young, and he says, I can't speak. What's the lesson for us? It is don't believe the lies that the enemy wants to put inside of you about you. Lies like this, oh God, you can't use me. I, I've made too many mistakes. Maybe that one's whistled through your brain a time or two. God, I, I just, I, I, I've done, there are too many mistakes. I think about a guy named Peter who denied the Lord three times. And then Jesus tells him, but when you are restored, And we know that Peter went on to be used mightily of God in the purpose of God. Don't ever say, God can't use me. The fact that you're here means God can use you. Don't ever say something like this, well, God hasn't gifted me like others. That's right, actually. And that's by, go back last week, that's by design. God hasn't gifted you like others. He gave somebody else other gifts. He's given you your gifts and your talents and your abilities, and those are what you are responsible to use for him. Don't say, well, I don't have influence like others. You have influence that you may not even be aware of. Do you know people watch you, especially if they know that you're a believer? You know what that's called? That's called influence. How you live, how you respond to things that happen in your life and uh, the circumstances around you are are influenced. Your kids, your family, your friends, your colleagues, you have influence. Well, you say, I don't know where to start, Pastor. I I just don't know where to start. Let me tell you where to start. Are you ready? This is where you start. Say yes to Jesus. If you don't know him, you've got to start there say yes to him. And if you do know him and you say, God, I know you've put me here and you have a destination and I have a place in your purpose and plan, you say, I don't know how to get started, just say yes. But whatever it is, I'm all in. Count on me. I've had uh, a number uh, over the years now, numbers of uh, young men and 
uh, women who've come, who God's placed a call upon their heart, and we've had many come out of our church uh, to go into to Christian service, and they come and say, but my problem is, I've had them say this so many times, I don't know what it is He wants me to do. My answer is not, okay, you got to discover what that is first. My answer is always this, you just tell Jesus, yes. And I said, He'll work out the details. And then you just serve him however you can serve him, and he'll clarify the path. The key is drawing near to him, seeking him, saying yes to him, and then guess what? You begin to discover your destiny while you're here. So don't, if you don't know where to start, just start by saying yes to God, whatever it is. Whatever you created me for, whatever, God, yes, and I'm going to get close to you. And then some people will say something like, well, I don't have enough education. I don't have enough education uh, for God to use me. Uh, guess what? Again, once, it's a lie from hell. There was a man named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody would have what we would consider probably not even a full elementary uh, education. And he's one of the greatest men of God, used of God all over the world. Literally hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ through D.L. Moody's ministry, and his legacy lives on today. And not only did many come to Christ as a result of, of Moody, who, by the way, was often made fun of in the cultural presses of the day because he butchered uh, the English language when he preached. But when, but when he preached, God's Holy Spirit would move. Don't say, I don't have enough education. By all the standards, Moody didn't have them, but there's an institute, there's a university, there, there were orphanages. There were all kinds of things started because he just simply said yes. And by the way, do you talk about influence. You know how his yes started? It started when he went to work for a shoe salesman named Kimball who was a Sunday school teacher. And... Mr. Kimball led D.L. Moody to Christ. And D.L. Moody, you say, so who gets the credit? Paul, uh, Apollos planted, Paul watered, God gave the increase. God gets the credit. We're just all doing our part in the big plan of God. By the way, you can take that lineage. Have you ever read the story? You ought to go track it down. You can read the story. Mr. Kimball, somebody led Mr. Kimball to Christ. You see how it goes on and on? You and I are here, but you say, well, somebody led me to Christ, or I responded to the gospel under a, a message or something, but somebody did something that caused somebody that did something that you, where you heard the message. You, you understand? You see where I'm going? And by the way, you can trace that heritage of Mr. Kimball and Moody to others like, like Billy Sunday and, and G. Campbell Morgan and some of these, and later on, Billy Graham. Don't ever say, God can't use me. Don't ever say that I can't make a difference for the kingdom of God. You may not even know until you get into heaven just what a difference you made, but you made it because you surrendered and because you said yes to Jesus, however you can use me, use me. And here, here's what I know, that God wants to use you and He has a destination for you. 
you, have you ever heard this line? It's a cultural line, and it says, it goes something like this, if it is to be, it's up to me. Now, that sounds good, and it's used a lot in success circles and that sort of stuff, and I, I, I'm okay. I know what the idea is. It means you've you got to be involved in the process. But the fact is, in a spiritual sense, that, that doesn't work. Because in a spiritual sense, if it is to be, it is always up to God using me, if it is to be. Uh, let me be honest with you about something. After four decades... I still feel inadequate as a preacher. And I'm not trying this morning to be falsely humble uh, with you. But frankly, I've never thought of myself as a good preacher, and I don't need your help in confirming that. <laughs> I've just never thought of myself as a good preacher. I can't tell you how many times I've left the pulpit over the years and apologized to God for delivering a message that I just felt was not worthy of the calling that God placed on my life. But I will also say to you this, that, that it, on many times I have left with that sense and discovered later that God had used those messages in ways that I had never imagined I could hardly comprehend. I recall an occasion when here years ago, um, we took a team to Romania, to Bucharest. We had a partnership over there, and we would go uh, once or twice a year. And on this particular trip, I had been, uh, somehow they had lined me up to speak at a night gathering at the University of Bucharest to, I, I don't know, there were three or 400 people there in this massive auditorium. And uh, they had asked me to come and, and, and share a message. And so I had prepared my message, and I had an interpreter there with me. And that's not a problem. I've done that before many times through the years, with uh, spoken with an interpreter. And you just have to do it different. Your cadence has to be different. And, you know, there are euphemisms you can't use in other countries that you can use in America because they just don't connect in other places. I had this young university student who was going to be my translator, and I remember getting up in this massive auditorium in, uh, there in Bucharest and, uh, at the university, and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing the message that God had given me to share with them. And I just have to tell you something. It, it's, it's only a couple of minutes in, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, they are disconnected from me. They're sitting all over this massive auditorium, and they're carrying on conversations just like I'm an afterthought there, which makes it only worse. And I began to struggle delivering the message. And uh, by the way, one of the reasons I love, I joke to you, but I love to, to uh, share God's Word with you, is you do act like you are listening. Whether you are or not, I'm, we won't go there, but you do act like you are. And it makes a difference, I will tell you. But I'm there, and I'm thinking, God, they're not listening. They're all over. This young lady who's interpreting for me, she will stop me every once in a while when I say something and say, she'll go, did you mean that? Yes. And she would then, she would go like this. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and and I'm truly at the mercy of the interpreter because they can make you say whatever they want it to be. And this is how this thing is going. And I'm thinking, 
I'm crashing and burning right here. And by the way, that was later confirmed by some people that were on the trip. Chuck wasn't one of them, but there were some people. Our group was in the audience here on the one. And they told me afterward, we were praying because we saw how bad it was. <laughs> well, and, and so I decided to take a cheap shot back at them. I said, well, your prayer didn't work, did it? Uh, but I struggled, and man, it was just one of those times I thought, God, how can... And I have to tell you, when I, I was dejected, when I walked down off of that platform and it was over, I thought, God, <clears throat> by finishing up, I have delivered both them and myself. And I went, and, and so I had given an invitation, by the way, to the gospel, and, I thought, and people are still just talking. <laughs> uh, I'm giving an invitation, not a come forward, but a stay in your seat kind of invitation and everything. And so I've, I've done all this, and I just really, I'm, I'm walking down after it's over, headed back toward our group. We've dismissed, and, and it, everybody's starting to get up and leave, and I think, <laughs> you know, and nobody's going to say, well, that was a good message. And while we're just talking about where we're going from here, our group, where we're going uh, next, there were suddenly, uh, over to my side, there were a group of people that had come, and they were all standing over there. And when I, I, we finished our group, I saw they asked, could they speak with me? And they came over, and it was about 20 people who all had come to tell me that they had trusted Christ as their Savior that night. And I wanted to do this. I wanted to go, Really? <laughs> I didn't, but I wanted to. But I think there were 20 or 21 people that told me they had trusted Christ as their Savior. And here's what that helped teach me. And that is, our inadequacies are the things that keep us dependent on God. And they remind us that it isn't you it is Him. He does the work. And that's why when you and I are just doing what God has destined us, uh, destined us to do, God can bear fruit. He can bear fruit. I've learned that my inadequacies keep me dependent on God. And yours do too. That's why Paul would say this in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, faith. And henceforth there is now laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Did you get that? At the end of the race, he knew he was about to be beheaded in Rome. And he said, but here I can say I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I've done what God put me here to do. That's what he could say. And now, he wasn't saying, and now I've done that and there's a guillotine waiting me. He said, and now there awaits me the crown of righteousness. The crown, not the, not the axe, but the crown. Why does he say that? Because he had run the race. He had lived for the purpose of God. And so at the end, he could look forward to the crown. And do you notice that he said in that statement, he said, but not to me only, 
but to all of those, that's us, who love his coming and his appearing. What was he saying? He's live out, live the course that God destined you for and designed you for. Each of us should be able to, like Paul, say, I have kept the faith, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race. How do you do that? You do that by living with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. How how do I want the finish to be? There's one final thing I share with you this morning, and that is I want you to notice last Jeremiah's divine affirmation. Look at verse 9. So you remember what Jeremiah said, I can't do this, I'm too young, I don't have the ability to go and and proclaim the God, I just, I can't do it. Look at this, verse 9. Then the Lord put uh, put out his hand, he touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. You know what that is? It's God's affirmation about Jeremiah's destination. It's God's affirmation about his destination. God was assuring Jeremiah that he would equip him for the journey that that he had called him to. God was saying, look, what I'm calling you to, I will make you capable for. I will enable you to do. I have given you what you need. I'll touch your mouth so you can speak. I'm not asking you to do this on your own. I, I have given you and I will give you and I will be with you. God was assuring Jeremiah that he would equip him for the journey that he called him to. Uh, We don't have to be afraid of God's will. I don't know. The devil does a good job of scaring us about God's will. Yeah, if you give God's will, you know, life will be miserable. And by the way, it doesn't, living in God's will doesn't remove you from the difficulties of living in this world. And the associated pains of this fallen world. It doesn't deliver you from that. But what it does is it gives you meaning in the midst of that. And you have a comrade. God is with you. And there are at least two things He does for us. He equips us for our calling. In Christ you have everything you need to do everything God destined you for. Peter said in 2 Peter 1, he said, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain. Listen to this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Do you get that? Write that down, 2 Peter 1.3. You go look that up someday. You say, I don't have the skill. I don't have the ability. I can't do it. He's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Godliness, holiness, consecration. Life, doing the life that God has destined you for, that God has designed you for. He's given you everything that you need. And it's through the knowledge of Him, seeking Him, drawing near to Him, knowing Him, walking with Him, the one who's called us. And so he equips us for the calling. And second, he joins us in the journey. We're not alone. We're not alone. Amen for that. God goes with us. You remember when Joshua was called to lead Israel into the promised land? You remember what God said to him? Now Moses, my servant, is gone. And uh, Joshua, I want you to lead the people on. 
And uh, Joshua was afraid, and we know that because on three occasions in that first chapter, God says, uh, uh, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. And God says to Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. You know what God was saying? I'm doing this big thing. It's bigger than Moses. I was with Moses, and now... You will carry on the mission. You're not like Moses. You're different from Moses, but you'll carry on the mission. And I was with Moses, and now I will be with you. I will go with you. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. You see, God's will and your destination are connected. And God doesn't call you to make the journey alone. But He assures us that He will travel along with us. Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 43, Thus saith the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, and now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the deserts. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to, the, to give drink to my chosen people. Did you get that, what he was saying? To his people. If you want to follow the destiny of God for your life, go back to something I said earlier. It starts with yes. Say yes. Say yes. God has something big going on. You are here to be in on the big thing that God is doing, but you have to say yes. And your yes can make all the difference in your life. I close with telling you this story. In 1943, a young pastor was offered the opportunity to take over a popular radio program called Songs in the Night. Uh, and since the cost of keeping the program on the air was really high at the time, the pastor, who had a large vision to reach many people with the gospel, told his board that he would be willing to forego part of his salary to help defray the costs that were involved. The suggestion was eventually accepted by the board, and the young pastor then approached, uh, at that time, a very well-known Christian singer requesting him to sing and lead choir, a choir on the program for, the, for their church. After initially trying to back out, this Christian singer said, no, I really don't want to do this as a young pastor. I don't, I've, I've got other things on my plate. But after trying to back out, he finally agreed to help out. And his decision would change the course of his life and his ministry forever. He later said, this, this singer, this Christian singer, he later said, and I quote, it was the beginning, the humble beginning, of an unbelievable journey. It was exciting to be a part of something wonderful that was unfolding. That Christian singer's name 
was George Beverly Shea, and that young pastor was Billy Graham. Yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll sing. Yes, I'll proclaim. Yes, I'll serve. Yes, I'll give. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And the yes made all the difference. Today, do you need to say yes? Yes to the calling of Jesus. You're called. Yes to your divine destiny. And yes to the will of God. You may not see it all in front of you right now. You, you, may, you, you may say, I, I don't know where it's going. That's okay. <laughs> I remember a time in my life I told, I told the Lord. I've got an attorney friend in Florida who laughs at this statement, but I told the Lord because he, he knows. I, I told not only the Lord, I told him. I said, I know God has called me to serve him, but I know one thing I'll never do is I'll never preach and I'll never pastor. I remember when God changed all that. I remember when He told me. And I remember saying, yes. Have you said yes? You said, well, are you talking about being vocational? No, I'm just talking about, are you saying yes to God? Yes today. Yes in my life. Whatever you have and whatever I need, I know you will provide for me to be who you destined me to be in your will. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are so much smarter than us and you see what we don't see. And Lord, even when we don't see your will down the road, you see it. You know, you know what it's about. You know why we're here. You put us here. Help us, Lord, to desire. I pray those that are listening to my voice today, wherever they may be, I pray that right now, God, you would birth in them a new or a renewed passion to walk in your will, to become everything that they are destined to be, not for their sake, though that's a side benefit, but for the glory of the will of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Restore any lost, discouraged hearts and passions, Father. Cause us to desire to draw near to you. And those who need to trust you, let their yes be, yes, Jesus, I invite you to be my Savior and my Lord. I call on you right now. Come into my life. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for loving me and dying on the cross for me. I receive you. Yes, yes, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? I'll be here as always. Staff on the aisles. It's an opportunity for you to make a decision. Maybe some of you need to say yes to Jesus Christ or you've trusted Christ and you need to come and make that known. Maybe you need to say, yes, I, I, I want to be a part of Ridgecrest. I want this to be my church home and church family. Yes, I want that to happen. Maybe you need to come and kneel around this altar and seek the Lord. Seek Him. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. I don't know what you may need to seek Him about. You may be praying for others. You may be uh, seeking Him for some decision. Whatever it may be, come and use this altar. Take advantage of this moment. This is one of those moments where you can draw near to Him in an unusual way. Would you do that? 
As Aaron and the choir lead us, I invite you to slip out from the balcony or ground floor right now.